0: Welcome to episode two of Off the Course, where we talk with golf course superintendents, directors, and other turf heads about literally anything off the course. Our guest today is Patrick Reinhardt. He is the golf course superintendent at Georgia Southern University. Also lists himself as an occasional dirt mover, a board member of the Georgia GCSA, a Michigan State graduate, right on through for MSU. And also, and this is important, and this is where we're going to dive in today, the dad of Peyton and Palmer Patrick, how you doing?
1: doing well, how are you Matt
0: doing great thanks so much for joining us today uh, earlier this week and a couple weeks now, by the time the podcast' will air, you had a post on Twitter that gained a lot of traction and, and gained a lot of attention and mentioned just a second ago you're the father of, of Peyton you're the father of Palmer, two great little kids um, Palmer's had I don't want to say a rough stretch, but he's had a, a uh kind of a challenging stretch here, the first few years of his life. Born in, in twenty sixteen and he is literally a one in a billion kid in the world.
1: Yep, pretty close to that, yep. Yep. Yeah, hey, uh, Palmer was born uh July twenty sixteen. Um he's our firstborn and a pretty spunky kid. <laughs> um so he um He's one of those kids that you know if you if you look at him you would never know there was anything going on in the background um and you know it's kind of always been that way, but you know we we we've, we've got a lot of close friends and family who kind of know what we were dealing with um but outside of that we kind of kept things pretty quiet as far as his kind of health struggles yeah he's a he's a fun kid though
0: he was born with a very rare is it a liver disorder specifically?
1: Yeah, so what, he, what Palmer has um, is he has a genetic mutation that, it was kind of a long route to get there, but he has a genetic mutation that um, affects both his liver, um, causes some, um, I guess you would call it almost like a liver disease with him, and also has a immune system that's not functioning properly. It kind of, there's parts of it are not working at all, and some of it is working not at uh, the level it's supposed to be. So it, it took us uh, about two years to get to this point where we finally kind of started to figure out what's happening because it's so rare. But, yeah, he um, everything, everything boils down to a genetic mutation. I can kind of give a little background with him. So he was born in July of 2016, when he was born, he was a little bit jaundice, so he had some elevated bilirubin levels. So if if you're familiar with kids that are jaundice, they tend to have kind of a yellowish-orangish tint to them. Um, it's, it's from the bile levels in their, in their blood, and his was a little bit elevated, which really isn't uncommon. Uh, typically, if they're elevated, they... Uh, if they're elevated high enough, they might uh, send people home, they call it with a billy light, or they might just tell you to put them in a window and give them some sunlight. And, and that kind of resolves itself. But Palmer was, Palmer's levels were never bad enough that they felt we needed a billy light or that we needed to do any kind of intervention with it. So they just kind of sent us on our way uh, and, and kind of made it a point, we'll just kind of monitor and see what happens. So as as things kind of go, when you have a new child, you're at the doctor every few days, it seems like. But Palmer wasn't gaining weight. He was actually losing weight. So he went from, I guess he was about the 70th percentile for weight uh, when he was born to actually being listed as failure to thrive. He was actually out the bottom of the chart with with his weight. Um, he was uh, So he was lo- losing weight. We couldn't get him to put on weight. And his jaundice was never really clearing up. So we actually got sent to have some blood drawn. I guess he was about six weeks old or so at that point, somewhere around there. They they sent us in just for some routine lab work to see what his uh, bilirubin levels were at. And uh, through that, we actually got called. Uh, we went on a Friday to get the blood drawn. And we got called on Friday night by the pediatrician asking us to go into the the uh emergency room actually to go in and get blood levels taken again because he had really high potassium levels. And that was actually a product of, of when they actually took the blood, it was gave us a false uh false reading on his potassium. But when they retook it they discovered his liver enzymes were, were extremely elevated. So on Friday night about 11 o'clock, they were making plans to actually transfer us to Memorial Hospital in Savannah. Uh, we're about 45 minutes from Savannah, but they actually have a pediatric unit there. Uh, so they actually took Palmer, middle of the night, down to, down to Savannah to try and do some further tests on him. And so through the testing, we went through all kinds of tests with Palmer. There was several different scans they did, different types of blood tests, and his initial diagnosis was something called biliary atresia. Biliary atresia happens when there's a, a duct not formed properly uh, between um, the gallbladder, I believe it is, and the liver. And when if that's not formed properly, they actually have to go in and actually make an artificial one in there um, to help actually drain the bile out of the Bile out, so um, things can actually function properly, and so we were actually prep for a fairly extensive surgery um, that they were going to have to do when he was seven weeks old. At when they went in to do the surgery, they actually did some more testing. They did a cholangiogram, basically to test the the biliary tree, and they they found out that his his um, Basically, he was functioning properly. He just wasn't, there was just something going on with his liver that was giving the the artificially high, or giving high enzyme levels. So in a way, it was good because it took us from a very extensive surgery to, they had him already open, so they went ahead and did a liver biopsy and sent that off to Duke University. But at that point, we really didn't have any answers as far as what was going on. Um, They kind of gave us some initial diagnosis. And we started working with a doctor in Savannah. So that was kind of, kind of the start of our journey anyways, the start, start of two-plus years of of doctor's visits and everything else.
0: And as a rookie parent, uh, my wife and I were, were right after you. Our first and only so far was born in August of 2016. So you were dealing with this. We were dealing with all the little Baby stuff as well, but not anything nearly as serious as this. I mean, you feel helpless when your child screams and you don't know what 's wrong. you know is it a midnight feeding? Is he or she hungry? Do they need something else and and that's just run of the mill stuff this is This is far more serious like what what was the sense of helplessness or or did you guys have a sense of helplessness at that point?
1: yeah, I mean, we just um... In ways, we're, we're fortunate because my wife actually works in the healthcare field. She's a, she's a nurse practitioner, so it was nice being able to go into a meeting and her being able to know the questions to ask. She, she says it a lot. She, she knows a little about a lot of stuff, but when you get into the specialty stuff, she would always say, you know, treat me like somebody that doesn't know anything's going on Um, That has no background um, because I want to know exactly where your thoughts are. So it was nice having that background, but yeah, you just get this sense of, you know, there's really not much we can do about it except give Palmer the best care that we know how to do. So, you know, we basically said, you know, if we need to um, go to doctor's visits twice a week to figure this out. We will, whatever scans we need to do, whatever, you know, tests they want to run, we're going to take a head on and try and figure out what's going on. So that was kind of, you know, looking back now, we've had our second one. It's like, you know, there's, there's so much stuff that we did that, but we didn't know any different. We just, you know, that's what we did, but we didn't really, we, we call our second one our easy baby because, you know, she's, we haven't had to go through all this extra stuff with her, you know, and we 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 have the normal <laughs> the normal routines with, with Peyton where Palmer was all you know, new for everybody. We you know, it's kind of it was just uh, a whole different experience. But yeah. It um but at the same time, you know, it, it opens your eyes too. When you're when you're going to a children's hospital like that, you you see people that we, we kept saying it, it could always be worse. You know, that's, that really is the truth. You see kids there that, they, you know, they just have a hard life. You know, we are fortunate that, that Palmer has had, you know, for all intents and purposes, a very, a very good life, despite all of his issues and despite all of his struggles. He's, he's still an active kid. He loves to be outside, loves to play golf, loves to go to the golf course. Um, but, you know, he's he's happy, and, you know, he's doing well. You, you know, you see a lot of kids there that they just aren't doing well, um, and that's tough. Was
0: there a point at all during the first two years, Patrick, when either you or your wife kind of stepped away, she stepped away from the hospital or, or you stepped away from the course at all just to kind of dive in a little bit more on what was going on with him?
1: Not completely. Um, the nice thing is, I've I've got the support at at the university and from my bosses to take off whatever time I need. So you know, I've have been given the instructions. That if there's something going on that I need to take off for Palmer, that it doesn't matter what's going on with the university or with meetings or whatever, that I'm I'm to take it off. So that's been really nice Uh, my wife has had a good bit of flexibility and be able to take time off um, or shift her schedule around she's in a an actual practice outside the hospital so she's in a small office setting where if she needs off you know we can we can make it work and when we were when we were doing our appointments in savannah um, early on when when we were really getting into this it was a lot of back and forth to there, but we could do it in an afternoon or, you know, we could take off a couple hours here and there and, and get things get things going. As we've gotten further into it's a little more complicated because we're doing a lot more trips to Atlanta uh, with the Children's Hospital there, so it's it's a lot more travel time, and we end up having to be up there for a couple days at a time, so it's a little more complicated now. but. Yeah, I still have that ability, and Jessica's been able to work, make it work. Um, with between, uh, she had some time with maternity leave with our second child, and vacation time, and she also took some time off between jobs, and because um, she recently moved to a different office, and so we've been able to make it work out pretty well for us. Yeah, it's it's been some time away, but it's you got you do what you have to do when it when it comes to your child. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be in that position where I can um, and have that support to be able to do it I know a lot of people are, aren't that lucky there's so many people in the golf industry that are, are tied to their jobs it seem like or whether it's self induced or or whether it's you know directives from above but you know when you have something like this going on you you kind of have to have yourself in a mindset of there's life outside of the golf course and if I'm gone for a day, things will still be here when I get back. I would say that's just something you you end up having. I almost had to teach it to myself. You know, I can I can take a day off and it'll be fine. You know, I can take I can be away for two days and it'll be fine when I get back.
0: It's something we're diving into a little bit more in the magazine and in, in the months to come, and especially in the forthcoming State of the Industry report. There are questions about how many hours you work a week and what your longest stretch of days was consecutively. Without a break, you mentioned that you kind of had to teach yourself a little bit more to walk away for a little bit, and and everything will be as it was when you came back. Were there were there long breaks you were able to take, or or did you kind of again at that point in time just kind of at there have to teach yourself how to do that for the first time in a long time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was always a I was always a type that, and I still i still struggle with it where, you know, I had no problem working 12, 15, 20, 30 days straight. And that was just what I did. Um, you know, our normal schedule here was always, you know, 12 days on, two days off, 12 on, two off. And that's just what we always did. But, you know, you get to a point where you're like, all right, I have to be able to take time off. And, you know, I was – I was always the type too, where yeah, I'd go in way before everybody else and stay way after everybody. And um, I I really don't do that a whole lot anymore. Um, I go I I get in here before before most of the staff gets here, but then I try and be out of here by three thirty or four o'clock at the latest. I'm not going to be one that stays till five or six o'clock anymore because I want to spend that time with my kids um, and my wife and my family is just. It's become what what we what we need it to be. I understand. I've, I've come from the private club, the high end private club, where we worked seventy plus hours a week, you know, for you know twenty, thirty days straight. And I understand that mindset. But you, even in that position, you need to you need to take time away from yourself for for yourself from your work. It, there's a whole lot of a mental mental strain on you and especially if you get into a situation where where your kids have issues and you need to be addressing that they your kids are little ones and you know especially when they have a health health issues you just don't know how long you're going to have with them and it's just a different mindset um you you have to put yourself in that mindset it, it's not easy to do I, I struggle with it i still struggle with it there's there's times I feel like I need to come back at 7 o'clock at night, and it, I have to ask myself, you know, is it is it absolutely necessary that I come back? Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. But you just have to work your way through that.
0: Have those drives to Atlanta become, for better or worse, just out of necessity, have those become some sense of family time as well just because you are in the car more than you used to be uh maybe you're all four together or at least two or three of you or or is it you know you you try to really make it quality time together where you're not moving at 60 or 70 miles an hour
1: yeah so we end up having to go to Atlanta every it might be once a month it might be once every two months it might be twice a month it kind of depends so but it seems like every few weeks we're heading up there and we have it typically set up where we're up there for a couple of days at a time. We've been fortunate that typically either, because my family is in Michigan, but my mother's retired, uh, so she's been able to fly down a few times and help us out, or my mother-in-law comes up from Jacksonville area to help us out. And uh, normally what we'll try and do, is if we're going to have these appointments, we'll, we'll have Peyton stay at home with with one of her grandmas, and we'll take Palmer uh, by himself up there. And that's there's a few reasons. One is, you know, the trips to the hospital can be long days, especially when we start our infusion process that we, we go through now. We, we would be at the hospital all day, just about um, five, six, seven hours. It wasn't uncommon. And that was just really hard on Peyton to try and do something like that. But the flip side is it gives us one-on-one time with Palmer, So we can turn it into a thing where, you know, we go up, um, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll stop on the way up at a overnight halfway there at a hotel that has a pool that we can spend the evening swimming before we go up for a full day of doctor's office or doctor's visits. Or we might set it up where if we know we have half a day free or a couple hours free, we'll you know, be able to take Palmer to the aquarium or take him to the Children's Museum or, you know, just try and spend some time so it's not it's not all bad for him, you know. It's, you give them, give them something to look forward to, something to have fun, something to take their mind off of what they're going through. And um, so we go up, actually we go up uh, November 6th, 7th, so in, in a couple of weeks from now, so we have it set up for two days of appointments where we have basically two half days so we'll be able to set it up where we have a hotel with a pool so we'll be able to spend some time at the pool. We're staying close to the aquarium. We'll take him to the Georgia Aquarium. We'll be able to have some of that time with with Palmer to just be able to go have fun as well as you know being, at, being in a mindset of, of having to do all kinds of doctor's visits too. So it's not just oh we're going to atlanta and it's going to be two days of being you know examined by doctors and having to have blood drawn and sitting in waiting rooms and and all that so you know fortunately he's a good sport with most of the doctors offices cuz he he's hasn't really known any other way but you know if we try and have some some kind of entertainment for him either on the way up way back or while we're up there because it it is a couple of long days for for him and us, um, but you know we try and make the most of it and try and make it good quality time with him as well. And it it gives us time to focus on just him rather than being having to entertain him as well as Peyton, and it gives us kind of that that bond with him too.
0: And she gets some quality time as well right. with her grandma. I know you'd said. I think you wrote online that there are two confirmed cases of this in the U.S. He's one of them, and there are seven around the world. Just because there are so few confirmed cases, is there a timeline that you're working with? Is this going to be a lifelong thing, or is this kind of ease out a little bit as he gets older?
1: Um, it's nah, it's, it's basically going to be for the most part long term. There are there is some solution. So we basically got to this point. We were able to get um, our – we work with both a a liver specialist and uh, an immunologist who who works with just immune systems. So we work with two doctors really, really closely on this. Um, And the immunologist – we got to this point because the immunologist ordered a full genetic screen where they screened all 25,000 genes that Palmer has. They only know what 5,000 do, but they screened all 25,000, and they found one variant on – It's called the ATP6-AP1 gene. Now, that gene isn't very uncommon. There are some issues that have occurred with that gene in some people, and typically it's um, normally it leads to, normally it's just like there's not enough of it. But in Palmer's case, there's actually a variant that goes on that, yeah, he's one of two in the U.S. that has this variant, and uh one of seven in the in the world. Now there's not a whole lot because of privacy issues, the doctors can't tell us a whole lot. Um but the we do know that the one in the US is up in I believe it was Wisconsin. He was a eighteen year old kid, I believe, um male. That's one of the things with, with this uh genetic variant, it's only affecting males. Hmm. Um it's, it is a, a, a gene-linked variant, so it actually came from my wife. Um, they did testing on both myself and my wife. Once they figured out which gene it was, they could kind of go back and look. And it actually came from my wife's side of the family. But the issue is that my wife doesn't have any, any brothers. She actually doesn't have any siblings but no brothers. And because it only shows itself in, in males, there's really we would almost have to go back and genetically test everybody in her family to kind of start tracing back the line. So the good thing is that this won't necessarily affect Peyton directly, but she could be a carrier for it. So we'll actually be doing genetic screening on her as well. So if she has if she's a carrier for this genetic mutation, if she has kids, if she has a son, then there's a chance that he could carry this as well. So the genetic mutation with it with it comes the liver and immune system issues. Ultimately it's it's gonna lead that, the thought is it's gonna lead to liver failure eventually and he'll end up needing a, a liver transplant. But outside of that, because he's got the um, issues with his immune system, if if they do the liver transplant then more than likely his immune system or whatever you want to call it, his his genetic mutation is ultimately going to lead to the new liver failing as well, more than likely. Hmm. So what they would want to do is both a stem cell and a liver transplant. So this is where it gets kind of real for us. Eventually they say, you know, he'll need the stem cell and the liver transplant. The good thing about stem cell transplant is that the stem cell would basically rewrite his, his code so that his immune system should function properly at that point. The other good thing about doing a stem cell and a liver transplant at the same time is that the liver, you wouldn't have to worry about doing anti-rejection medications with it. So he would basically have a basically almost a new lease on life but they really won't do that until his immune system and his liver are essentially not working at all. It gets a little complicated with with this because they typically they, they want to do the stem cell and liver transplant ideally from the same person. The good thing about liver transplant is you can actually take it from a live donor and you don't have to have it have a um, a, a corpse you know, it doesn't have to be like a heart transplant or anything. They can actually just take a partial liver from a live person as long as it's a match to the person, and um, and they can actually, the liver will regenerate itself in the donor person as well, so they only need a, uh, a partial liver. So there's a few scenarios that we had talked about. One is, you know, some people say, well, can you have, ideally you're, you would want to have a liver and uh, stem cells from a sibling who is of the same sex. So basically, if we had another son, in theory, they could probably donate their liver and stem cells. The issue with that is they won't do anything until the donor's 18 years old. Um, and we can't guarantee that Palmer will be, will be healthy at 18 years old. And the other thing is, you know, would that sibling want to donate their liver and, and stem cells, you would hope so, but you can't guarantee that. So the next option is preferred to be a parent. Because my wife is the carrier for the genetic issue that disqualifies her, so that essentially means that I would likely become a, a donor for M4, both liver and stem cells, uh, more than likely. We can run it through a registry and see if there's any matches, but the chances of matching both um, liver and stem cells are, are kind of small on a registry. There's a chance it could happen, but you, you just don't know. So it's it's very likely that eventually I may be donating both liver and stem cell to uh, to Palmer. Whether that's in two years, twenty years, thirty years, you know, we we really don't know. Um, we know that. Um the one the one in Wisconsin was eighteen years old, um the ones around the world ranged um I think it was early teens to late teens for most of them. I don't really remember there being anyone older than that on the list, um but there was we only got bits and pieces of of what the the makeup of the other other people were. So is it one of those things where it's a be-all, end-all in five years? Probably not, but, you know, there's going to be some challenges further ahead than that.
0: The first time you hear that news and you, you get the whole walkthrough that, you know, you don't have another son, so that's out. Your wife's the carrier, so that's out. And so it falls on you. What What was your reaction the first time you hear that news?
1: Um, honestly it was kind of a we'll do what we have to do. Um you know, do we if they want me to go ahead and get tested for it now to see if see if we're matches, then I'll go get tested. Ultimately, I'll do whatever I need to do to help Palmer out. If it, it gives if it gives him a better quality of life, it might make me uncomfortable for a little while, but ultimately it is what it is and you know, if I need to be uncomfortable for a little while, then I will. You know, I, I think it would be hardest on my wife to have both your son and your husband, you know, being wheeled off into surgery to, to do something like that. But, um, you know, she's, she's a strong woman. Um, we've, we've got a great support system. So I think that would be harder than anything, really. That would be the tough part.
0: so with with years and years of treatments and and eventually these surgeries at some point coming up, obviously not an inexpensive endeavor uh, I know you'd you'd written about this online earlier this week. uh You received some help from the We One Foundation, one of the great great organizations, um not just in golf but really in 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 children's health. How much do you want to dive into what the We One Foundation has done? For you and, and for Palmer and your family.
1: Well, it's kind of all new for us. Okay. Um, <laughs> it um yeah it, it was it was incredible. Um, so we you know we kept we kept everything kind of quiet with Palmer. We um, we would post you know kind of bits and pieces on our personal Facebook pages, um, but I really kept everything off of Twitter. For me, I, I keep Twitter a lot more open. It is you know it's set to public. I I really don't. I post pictures of Palmer on there with his golf swing and occasionally pictures of Peyton and stuff like that. But I really don't get into a lot of the personal details on there. Um, I use Twitter mostly mostly for business. Um, but you know those who are you know friends and family that you know, are on our Facebook or or that we communicate with outside of Facebook. They kind of understood some of what we have been going through. Um, I wouldn't say they understand it all because it's very complicated with them. Um, even now, our, our treatment plan is constantly evolving if they, they want to try different things. But... So I'm on the board of directors for the the State Superintendents Association, the Georgia Golf Course Superintendents Association, and I sent an email uh, probably about July just to just to the board members because um, there was a couple board members kind of knew what was going on, but you know even even then they really didn't know everything that was going on, but there were some board members that. They knew I had to miss some meetings for some uh, some doctor's appointments for them and stuff, but they really didn't understand, I don't think, the scope of it. So I sent an email and basically laid out what we were looking at, um, both short-term and long-term. And so I'm not exactly sure who, uh, but somebody on the board submitted it to WE1 on our behalf. And they attempted. to get me up to the the um, tournament under kind of a different guys just to help out with registration with and helping facilitate the tournament but I had some commitments at the university that I needed to address in the morning of the the wee one I, I just didn't think I'd be able to make it up there so Greg Brolson up at he's was at Augusta Country Club been on our board of directors for the State Superintendent Association, now he's up at Wade Hampton in North Carolina, uh, called and, and um, kind of explained that they wanted to help us out. So it wasn't anything that was solicited, um, but they kind of heard our story and decided they wanted to kind of step in and, and take a load off of us. It, it was really touching. Uh, we're fortunate that, you know, as a state position, we've got great insurance. So our medical bills, yeah, they're, they add up, you know, with, but without the good insurance, it would definitely be a lot worse. But where the hard thing is that we one basically brought up was, you know, you're having to go to Atlanta every few weeks and, you know, pay for hotels, pay for gas, pay for meals you know, outside of your medical expenses even, so, you know, it, it really adds up when you sit back and think about it, and um, so they, uh, they made a very generous contribution to us, and it was, it was, it was powerful, it's, um, it was great, it was really great, um, you know, it's, it, it definitely takes a load off of us. Um, it, it gives us the ability to to do some things that we you know have been putting off because you know we, we just feel like we need to concentrate on on making sure we're, we're sound for anything that might come up for Palmer in the future, and it, it kind of helps us kind of prepare for the future a, a whole lot better. Yeah, it was it was uh, <laughs> it was surprising when Greg called me, and, and, and really touching. It was it was incredible. You know, it, it we were fortunate that it worked out that we could get up there in the afternoon. The original plan was that basically I would I would be able to go up in the afternoon and and kind of meet some of the wee one folks and. I wouldn't really get to hang out. <clears throat> Sorry. I wouldn't get to hang out a whole lot ahead of time uh, with the golfers and stuff, but I, I was able to get it worked out where I'd be able to go up in the afternoon. So, what I ended up doing was going and picking up Palmer from daycare. And um, it's about a two hour ride up to where they had the tournament at. So, Palmer and I took off and went up and had some lunch. and had a car ride up, and he um, the kid loves golf. He just loves to be on a golf course. So he got to spend the day riding around on a golf cart, taking pictures with people, fist bumping everybody, and just having fun. And that was that was worthwhile. It was just going around, and being able to um, say thank you to everybody. It was it was worthwhile. Sorry.
0: No, you're, you're great. And even at uh, three, he's already got a pretty impressive left-handed swing going. It looks like.
1: Yeah, self-taught. Even he um, <laughs> he uh, taught himself how to swing left-handed. We uh, I take him up to the driving range, and he just that's what he wants to do. We we um, get him set up in the backyard, and he'll spend hours out there just hitting balls all around. But, yeah, we took his golf clubs along. He got to hit a few shots for some people. So it was
0: it was fun. That's great to hear. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time, for sharing your story and Palmer's story. I know everybody here is rooting for him. I'm sure there's plenty of people uh, all over the golf world, uh, both in and out of maintenance, who are pulling for him. So the best to you, the best to him, the best to the whole Reinhardt family. If you want to follow Patrick on Twitter at ga southern gcm, uh, there's some there's some good photos of Palmer with his self-taught left-handed swing. Thanks so much for listening to off the course, Patrick. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, Matt.